0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers, today we feature A.W. Tozer. Aiden Wilson Tozer was born April 21st in 1897 on a small farm among the spiny ridges of western Pennsylvania. Within a few short years Tozer, as he preferred to be called, would earn the reputation and title of a 20th century prophet. Stay tuned as A.W. Tozer presents a study on Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Take heed how ye hear. I was meditating here over the fact about my going to over to the other north side for uh, ministry next Sunday. And I was thinking that I have been staying pretty close to this pulpit in recent times and just reminiscing a little bit over the pulpits I've been asked to come to and didn't go, because I'd rather stay and preach to you. I think about the Westminster Chapel in London, where I could have been for a month for two or three different summers and didn't take it and wouldn't. I've been invited to Park Street in Boston, Rock and Gay is and many others. And Brother Redpath was leaving for London or leaving for his home in England or his wherever he's going in England, he asked me to take his pulpit for a month. And I told him that this church wasn't as big as Moody's, but that I considered that it's one of the most important churches in the world, and I couldn't possibly do it. And I didn't until he finally got stuck just before he left. And so, just before he went away, a man failed him because of illness in the home, and I said, well, I can't possibly say no for one Sunday. That accounts for my being there. Now, honestly, I'd rather preach to you here, though only probably a fifth or less of the number, than I would over there. But I hope I may have a message, two messages for them which in content and in spirit may help them greatly next week. And as for preaching to big churches or large crowds, I haven't any (laughs) ambition for it. It may just be laziness and lack of spirit, or it may be a deeper wisdom, and I'm inclined to think it is. Anyhow, pray, and uh, if you will. And you're going to have two of the best preachers in the Chicago area here, Excellent preachers. Next week. Now, in the book of Luke, the book of Luke, verses 16 to 18, of the 8th chapter, Luke 8, 16 to 18, No man... When he hath uh, lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Now, verse 18, the first sentence, Take heed, take heed how ye hear. I want to talk a little word about that. And then, first, before we do, let's pray. O God, we thank thee for the singing in which we hear a sound that isn't earthly. It's neither the cheap song of the world, nor is it the fine classical song of the world. But there is another voice, we hear it, and it harmonizes with the beasts and elders and living creatures, and ransomed, who with palms in their hands up to see and sing together of him who loved them and washed them in his own blood. We are glad to hear this, Lord. Know what it will be like, a little bit of it at least, thank thee for an assembly of Christians, thank thee for this church, thank thee for this crowd here this steamy night. And Lord, it isn't the largest church on the continent, but to us, the dearest, the most important, and we pray that thou grant that tonight there may go forth truth that will be helpful to people. Some don't need it. Some are on their way. Some have long past the necessity for any of my preaching. Younger ones are coming up. New ones are coming in. Many others, by the scores, are going to other parts of the country and other parts of the world and taking the instruction and the message with them there new ones are hearing, God grant, we pray tonight, that in utter humility and consciousness that it is not I, and not man, and not the voice of man, but the voice of the Spirit, may we hear thee speak, O Lord Jesus. Grant mercy to be over us, thus this hot, noisy, jumpy city with its cacophonous rackets, and its fears and its lusts, and its deceptions and its lies, and its demon possession. Oh, God, have mercy on this great concentration of evil that we've named Chicago. We thank thee, thou hast in it a number who haven't bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his image and never will. Thank thee for them, Father. Thank thee, some of them are here tonight. Graciously help us. It may be in power and not in word only. Christ's name. Amen. Now the text says, Take heed how ye hear. Now when the great God Bring salvation to us. He let it ride on a voice. He let it ride on a sound. And salvation was to begin now where we are and continue through successive stages of progression until we are glorified. For always remember. That you don't have full salvation till you're glorified. Uh, I'm a little shy. I just learned the other day that a president of a well-known Bible institute, or, or no, seminary, seminary, said I was a legalistic. That is, Tozer was a legalistic sanctificationist. I thought that was nice, uh, and uh, I, I appreciate that. If I were keeping a diary, I'd write that in for my grandchildren. But uh, I may, in some people's eyes, be a legalistic sanctificationist, but I shy away from a lot of the terms that are used even in our own society. I shy away from the term fourfold gospel, the God I know isn't satisfied with fourfoldness, nor fivefoldness, nor tenfoldness, nor twelvefoldness, or a hundredfoldness, but he multiplies himself and magnifies his glory and surprises us with new and wondrous revelations of himself that far exceed our little fourfold. And then, I don't like the word full gospel. I suppose I should, but I don't. I like I like it when you mean it in its great emotional flow, full salvation, full salvation. Yes, I like that. But to put a word before the gospel, a word of man's choosing, I don't quite like it, full gospel. You see, my brethren, you don't have full salvation, really until you're glorified. Now, it is the will of God that we should be saved by hearing, and that we should begin to hear now, and that we should obey and follow, go on, until we pass through stage after stage and finally be glorified at last. And God, in doing all this, proceeds after a known law of life. It is that man can change. Change and decay in all around I see, and that's one of the saddest things in the world that we change so we change change and decay, but it's also one of the most the most comforting things that I know. I want to ask you a question, or just to ask you a question, and and trust to your humility and realism to answer it. Uh, Would you like to have a visitation from an angel? Uh, Would you like to have uh, a messenger from heaven, uh, the messenger of the Annunciation, the angel of the Annunciation? To come to you and say, Mr. McAfee, Mr. Moore, Mr. Tatter, and I could name all of you, me, I have a message from the Most High God. It is that you remain, and it is so decreed by the Everlasting Father that as you are at this moment you shall be eternally. Period. You have been, this is the judgment of God and the decision of the Most High. There will be no change from here on. It seems to me that that alone would be cause enough for 100 days mourning and 30 days fasting to be told you'll never change. You'll remain as you are. I say, this would be an annunciation so terrible, a declaration so frightening, that I think that instead of us bringing happiness to us, it would drive us into despair. For it is the hope of every man who has named the holy name of Jesus, that he's going to be better tomorrow than he was today. But if he lives through 57, it will add up to something better than 56, and if he lives through 58, it'll be better than 57. Not more money, not more prosperity, not better weather, not more health, not that, but that he'll be a better man in God. That, I say, is our hope, brethren, that we can change, that we are not fixed, that God Almighty hasn't cast us and fixed us by an eternal, changeless fire. It's predicated, this message that we hear from God, this message through the Word. It's predicated upon our ability to change. You've got a temper tonight like the very devil. It's possible for you to be so delivered that the change will be noticed by everybody that knows you near and afar. No matter what habits you have, or what mental habits, or what vices you may have, There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to change you so completely that it's like changing a beast into an angel. There is is power, there is potential in man to change. You don't have to continue to be what you are, and it seems to me that's the first message the world ought to know. You can be different that's the first message the world ought to know. And the gospel should follow that message, for preaching any gospel without that basic knowledge that I can change, that God can change me, that I am not fixed like concrete but pliable like clay. And this is a known law of life, and God takes advantage of it. I don't know but what the angels that sinned and kept not their first estate may have been fixed eternally, unable to change. At least there's no hope for them. But for you and me, there's hope. Man can change. And not only change, but learn. And so there's the sounding of a voice through the word, the living voice, when you open this book. When you open this book. Don't read it as you would read a newspaper or a classic. Expect to hear something in it. Expect it to speak to you, and, and, and expect the voice to vibrate. Expect it to be alive. For the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. And this book is a live book. It's only bread to the dead. And to the hopelessly dead, to all others, it's a live book. You see, my brethren, there's a difference between redemption and salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross and provided redemption there. And there isn't anything that can be added to redemption. Redemption is the finished work of Christ on the tree The finished work, that is, he finished that part of the dying on the cross. That part was done. When Christ said, it is finished. He didn't mean redemption was finished. He meant that part of redemption was finished. The rest of redemption was that he had to rise again and go to the right hand of the Father. For he saved us by his death, but justifies us by his resurrection. Let's not bear down too hard on that single phrase, it is finished. For when he said, it's finished, he meant the giving out of his life, the pouring out of his life, the atonement, the, the sacrifice was made, the lamb was dying. But if God had not received the lamb, salvation would never have been, redemption would never have been accomplished. But God accepted the lamb, raised him from the dead, sealed him and put him on high, and made him Lord in Christ. And thus effected redemption. So that redemption is all Jesus Christ did for us. From the time he picked up his cross until the time he sat down at the Father's right hand. That's redemption. And that's done, and there's nothing we can add to it. Not the keeping of the Sabbath, not the eating of certain meats, not the long periods of fasting, not even prayer can add anything to that. Long before you existed, When you were only a forethought in the mind of God, it was all done, it was all done. There's nothing to be added, nothing, nothing to be added. There are cults, Adventism and others, there are cults that say that there's something we must add, that it was not finished, not done. There's something we must add. I believe that to be blasphemy. that there's anything we must add. Nothing more is to be added. This man, when he had made one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. Nothing can be added, and any attempt to add is to insult the Savior who gave his all. That's redemption. Salvation is something else. Salvation is redemption applied to the individual life. Redemption is objective, it's that which is done, it is that which was done before you were born, before America was a nation, before the Crusades, before the fall of Rome. It was that which was done in that relatively short period of time, redemption, the Lamb was led out to die, he died, rose, and sat down. What the old theologians call his session, his seating for God. Now that's redemption. But the application of that objective truth to me subjectively, that's salvation. And so, salvation is both a human and a divine thing. Salvation is divine in that God did that which man could not do. And redemption is 100% divine. And there's nothing that any man can do or angel can do. That's divine. But salvation has a human element and the human side to it. And it means that I've got to make a response to that redemptive message, that I have to make a response to it, otherwise it does not become saving to me. Christ died for Englewood, and redemption was provided for Englewood, but Englewood is not saved. Why? Because Englewood made no response. The sinners that we know that die every day are sinners and die in sin not because they were not redeemed by the blood of Christ, but because they do not respond, they do not hear. Now, it is our part to understand and to hear, to hear and to understand and to respond. Remember that we can sit and hear truth and be none the better for it. Remember that, that it's the response to truth. Suppose that you are ill with a certain kind of disease for which there has been a specific cure discovered. As, say, the Yaws. Is that the name of that disease? it's a disease that eats the fingers off eats the nose off and eats the ears terrible thing and what I can learn one or two injections of penicillin cure it and they're having difficulty over there making the heathen understand they're not gods and that this is not a Jesus needle that it's not a miraculous thing But suppose we had a terrible disease here, suppose you had it, and there was a specific that was discovered that would cure it in 24 hours, and suppose that a man got up before you and for 45 minutes lectured on that medicine and told what it would do, the cures it would affect. And then suppose that he threw the meeting open and 25 people got up and said, I want to testify that what that man said is true. I had that disease. I took that medicine and look at me. Now, I can do a day's work and feel good and sleep, as my father used to say, like a top. Well anything been done for you yet? No, you're sitting down there, you're hearing a man tell of the merits of a certain medicine. You're hearing people testify that that medicine cured them. But nothing's happened to you. You still have your disease. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to hear it, believe in it, and do something about it. And that's exactly what it is with salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ is the medicine of immortality. And the dying and rising and living and pleading of the Savior is redemption without anything man can add. It's God Almighty's universal panacea. But you've heard that talked about until it's all stuff to you. And until you have heard with faith and then risen to do something about it and apply it to your own self by obedient faith doesn't mean anything. It's all objective, all outside of you. It must become subjective and get inside of you. No confirmatory work has to be done. We need to look for nobody, to nobody for confirmation. It's all been done. In the beginning was the Word. And there's a speaking word, and because in the beginning was the word, and you were you were created in the image of the word, you can understand the word. And even though fallen, like the man, the young man, far from home in a far country among the swine, swine, swine swineherds, still. Still, because you were made in the image of God, and the beginning was the Word, and all things were made by the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made, you have in you the ability to hear the Word. Take heed how ye hear. For redemption is yonder. Salvation is when redemption, that is yonder, becomes present and within us. By obedience and faith. So there's a voice. And it sounds living and vibrant all through the word. But you know there are different kinds of hearers. I've looked through the scriptures to notice the different kinds of hearers. Don't get braced for a long sermon. I'm going to be brief.